0: So if you brought your Bibles this morning, and I hope that you have, turn with me to the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 28. Uh, I just want to begin by just reading one verse to you this morning. Proverbs chapter 28. I want to read verse 13, and then we'll go to the Lord together in a word of prayer. Proverbs 28, 13 says, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just humbly come before you here this morning one more time thanking you for the good day, thanking you for the many blessings, thanking you, Lord, for the opportunity to gather here to worship together, Lord, and to to just be able to freely uh, tell people about you and to lift our hands up and to give you praise and glory without any kind of fear. Lord, there's so many places in the world right now that does not have that freedom, and I pray, Lord, that none of us would take that for granted, but we would always come before you with thanksgiving, giving you thanks, Lord, And, and I know there has, and we thank you for the many... Uh, men and women who have fought and bled and sacrificed and died so that we could have this freedom but we also know that ultimately it's a gift from you and so we give you the praise and the glory and we thank you most of all tonight or this morning for your son Jesus Lord God that you sent him and give him so that we might have life and have that life eternally and abundantly and Lord my prayer this morning uh, for our service is real simple I just want your will done I just want your will done in all things here this morning. God, I'm asking that you would move on the hearts and minds of each one that is here. Lord, if there is something in one of our lives, if any of us have hung on to any sin, if any of us have backslidden, if any of us have maybe just lost and never knew you, oh, Lord, let today be the day they'd repent and get things right with you before it's everlasting too late. Lord, if there's any that just need to be lifted up or encouraged, God, I pray, Lord, that that's what would happen today, Lord, that you'd lift them up and encourage them. For there's any needy healing touch, Lord, we know you're the great physician. Lord, comfort them, bless them, give them the touch they stand in need of. And, Lord, for myself, I need your help tonight or this morning. I can't preach. I can't preach at all. Not on my own, I can't. And so, Lord, I'm asking for your help. Lord clear my mind of everything but your message your thoughts your words place on my tongue the very things that you'd have me to say here this morning and help it just to flow just to come Lord from uh, from Lord they know that they've heard from you uh, through my spirit to theirs and Lord I'm praying Lord I I know that your word will accomplish your will and that's what I'm praying for this morning so Lord I'm just asking preach me one more time here this morning and I'll be sure and give you every bit of the glory for it we love you we worship you, we praise your holy name. We ask it all in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Amen. That word prosper that's a word that's neglected that is misused uh, in, in this part of the world in this time period in the church. There is many false gospels that are that are or at least a false gospel that is preached by many. That is built around it. Um, the word "prosper" is used uh, wrongly and in such a negative way that it causes preachers and pastors like me to kind of avoid it and avoid preaching on it, uh, just because of the uh, so many that preach a, a false gospel of, of prosperity. Uh, and so, and that's not right either. And so anyways, the Lord has, um, I'll be honest with you, Thanksgiving is my favorite time of the year. Uh, it is my favorite, I, I think it's one of my favorite holidays. I obviously like Christmas and, and Easter and what they stand for as well too. But I just always, I really like Thanksgiving. And usually I preach a Thanksgiving uh, sermon. And uh, that's not the direction the Lord had for me this morning. Uh, and so anyways, uh, but I—but this this prosper. When I'm talking about prosper and when the scriptures are talking about prosper, it's not talking about just going out and making a bunch of money. It's not talking about going out and, and, and a bunch of money or material things just fall into your lap. Now, God may bless you Financially and materially and so on and so forth. That's not a guarantee by no means whatsoever. He'll take care of your needs for sure. Uh, but that is not really when the scripture usually is talking about prosper. That is not usually what it's talking about. Uh, what would be a better description or, or, or better definition of what he's talking about here is to spiritually prosper. All right. And, and so anyway, so spiritually do well and prosper. That is the sources of, of true, or that is the source of true joy and true happiness and peace, the peace that pass all understanding, right? That comes from, from prospering, but spiritually prospering. So, with that in mind, when I read a verse like this, you might ask the question or begin to talk about prospering you might begin to think, well, why don't I prosper? Why doesn't my family prosper? You might say, you may have a ministry you feel like God's called you to, and you may sit there and say, you know, preacher, why doesn't uh, my ministry prosper? I've heard many pastors and, and leaders in, in churches, not only throughout our, in our community, but throughout The country who have said and who have asked, why doesn't our church flourish? Why doesn't it prosper? Why do people come but they don't stay? Some might even ask, and you may even ask, preacher, where is the spiritual prosperity in serving Jesus? I think the answer lies within the verse that I read to you this morning. I mean, notice for a minute the simple phrase, shall not prosper. It's really clear what, the, what it says. Those that try to cover up their sin will not prosper. Now, don't as I go through this, don't mistake what I'm saying to say that Everything negative that happens or everything that you perceive as being negative against you is the direct result of a personal sin. I am not saying that, but I am saying that if that is one thing that we'd better check, that is one thing that we better uh, that we better keep in mind and we better seek God about and we better ask Him about, right? Is there something in my life, right? Is there something that I'm supposed to be doing that I'm not doing? Is there something that I am doing that I'm not supposed to be doing? Is there some sin that I have covered up that I, instead of dealing with it, right? Is there a reason, right? You know, the Bible tells us to let a man examine himself. We always read those scriptures uh, before uh, we take communion, okay? And we only do communion a time or two a year. We don't do it that often, three or four at the most. And I always say this, that if that is the only time that you that you take the opportunity to examine yourself, you're in pretty bad shape spiritually, alright? So we do we need to constantly examine ourselves we need to constantly right I mean often we need to be asking the Lord to search our heart and if there's anything there that shouldn't be there to bring it to our mind bring it to our attention so that we can deal with it and so that we can get it out of the way so that we can prosper spiritually and be blessed in our service for the Lord so with that in mind and with being given the direction of sin, let's talk about it for just a minute. What is the problem? Right? That's the logical question to ask. Right? If if, if the Lord is not, if, if I'm not prospering spiritually, and I don't have peace, and I don't have joy, and I don't have the happiness that, that God makes so clear that, that he gives his children, the question has got to be, what is the problem. Now, I'm going to deal with the, the, the one and the answer that is given here. Understand there can be other reasons too, but this one is a big one. Look, hey, if you want to apply this directly to our nation, look at our nation for just a minute, right? It is not going to go on and prosper and do well, right? As long as the nation and society, that we, as long as we condone sin, as long as we endorse sin, as long as we call sin, Good. We will not go on and prosper as a nation. But let's talk about us individually here this morning. So what is the problem? Let me give you number one. We try to shift the blame for our sins. Right? Right? I mean, that's one of our that's one of our first natural reactions is we is, is we like to blame shift, right? We like to shift the blame. It's someone else's fault, right? This goes all the way back to the to the to the to the Garden of of Eve, right? Or, uh, of Eden, right? Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, right? Do, do you remember what happened? What took place there? Uh, if in case you don't remember, the, and I know I I feel like I. Preach on this all the time, but that's all right. But if you'll remember, Satan, the old devil, the tempter, the serpent, right? He comes in there, he tempts Eve, uh, and Eve uh, eats of the forbidden fruit, and she gives to Adam, and Adam eats of it also, and their sin enters into the world, and through that the consequences of sin. And if you'll remember, whenever God come to walk with them as as He normally did, right in the cool of the day, right uh, that they had uh, they hid themselves from God, and they literally try to cover up their sins, right. With with fig leaves. Remember that? And so anyways, whenever God calls them out and asks them what they've done and, you know, making them confess to it, do you remember the response? Uh, Let me read it to you. Genesis chapter 3, that's where you read about all this. Genesis chapter 3, verse 12 and 13. And the man said, right, the man is Adam, and the man said, the woman, that's Eve, the woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree. And I did eat, and the Lord God said unto the woman, what is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, the serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. Blame shifting. Right? We haven't changed any. We still have the same sinful nature. We still automatically do the same thing. It's not my fault. I didn't do it. Right? I, I, it cracks me up. I mean, it's serious, and I try not to laugh where they can see me. But Jennifer's babysitting kids. And she's got some of them, when they get old enough, when they're like, uh, you know, they get up there about... Preschool age. They're three years old and four where they're starting to talk and stuff like that. Something will happen. One of them will do something, right? And, and you know very well. Either either you saw it or you know them well enough and you pretty well know what has happened, right? And you ask. And the first thing is, is oh, I don't know what you're talking about. And then the second response is to blame somebody else. She's got one little boy, right, that will blame the other little boy's name is Levi. He will blame Levi. Levi could have been sick. As a matter of fact, there's been times where Levi wasn't even there the whole day. He was sick and didn't come. And if you ask him, who did this? You ask, Grayson, who did this? Levi did it that was really something that Levi was able to do that oh my but that but seriously that's what we do right it's not my fault and then we'll blame somebody else we'll blame it on our parents we'll blame it on society we'll blame it on uh, on our environment uh, look here when god questions adam and eve adam blamed eve and eve blamed the serpent we go on through the scriptures we see King Ahab blamed Elijah, right? Whenever things went wrong and things went bad, there was no way he was taking fault for his own wickedness and his own sin in the wickedness of the nation of Israel at that time. He blames the man of God, the prophet of God, Elijah. We see where King Saul later or earlier where he blamed the people, right? The truth is that we are the way that we are because of our sins. And the scripture says... He that covereth his sins shall not prosper. I'll tell you something else we do. We try to minimize our sins. We find ourselves actually quoting uh, Abraham's nephew, Lot, often, right? When we're confronted with our sins, right? Uh, Lot is, con- is confronted with his, uh, uh, his-, his wanting to disobey God. God told him to go to the mountains, and he's wanting to go to a, to a village, and he says, is it not a little one? Now, he's talking about the village, the town. Is it not a little town, a little village? Can I just go there? Right? But we find ourselves quoting him a lot when we try to minimize our sins. We say, is it a little one? It's not a big deal. I had a good reason for doing it, right? That sin is really insignificant. We categorize sin right into the wicked, right? The really bad stuff and the not so wicked, the not so bad. Listen to me. That kind of thinking leads to nowhere good. You will not spiritually prosper. Nothing good will come out of that. We see, if you study uh, Lot's life, right, you can see where Lot exchanged uh, spiritual guidance for the well-watered plains of Sodom. We see him offer his daughters to a bunch of uh, perverts. I mean, that's just all there is to it, right? And then we see later on, after that, after the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, we see Lot uh, and his children committing incest, right, uh, with his own daughters and having uh, having two sons with them. Listen to me: He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, and Lot definitely did not prosper. What what do we do? I'll give you another one. We excuse our sins, right? We shift the blame for our sins. If that doesn't work, we try to minimize our sins. It really wasn't that bad. And then we begin to offer excuses for our sins. That's exactly. King Saul, first king of Israel, that is exactly what he did. He was supposed to go and lead Israel's army to to wipe out the the nation of Amalek. And he's giving specific instructions on exactly what they're supposed to do. And he doesn't do it. He, I mean, this is straight from God. And he does not do it. And then you read, when, and God sends Samuel to confront him, the prophet Samuel, to confront him. And 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 God is saying He regrets that He ever made Saul king. And when He sends Samuel to confront him, and first thing He does is He tries to He goes through all these things. He he shifts blame, he minimizes, he makes excuses, and, and finally, whenever it it is it is all when Samuel just pins him down on it, he says, "I feared the people and obeyed their voice." In other words, he went along with the people and obeyed their voice instead of obeying God. It is, 1 Samuel 15 is where this story takes place. That is exactly where the scripture is, where God says to the prophet Samuel that it's better to obey the Lord, right? That's better than sacrifices. Didn't Saul know he that covereth his sins shall not prosper? I mean, we literally, as a result of that, right? Because the way God saw it was, be- that, was that Saul rejected God, and so therefore God rejected Saul. And we see from that point forward, right? We see the kingdom torn from Saul, right? We see Saul's riches taken away from him, right? Do you, in- I mean, do we have a problem, or do you have a problem uh, uh, insist on excusing your sins just like Saul did? Do you say things like, well, everyone else does it too? Or I'm not as bad as they are? Listen to me. He that covereth his sins shall not prosper. Here's the thing that we have such a hard time grasping uh, as a people and especially as this nation. God sets the standard. God sets the standard. That means God decides what's right and what's wrong. God sets the standard. Man does not. Man does not set the standard. We do not get to decide what is right and what is wrong. I don't care what the Supreme Court, Congress, the President, or anybody else says. We do not get to determine what is right and what is wrong. I don't get to to determine it, I don't get to interpret it, and I don't get to judge it. God has already done all of those things, and it's right here. You see, God is the one that says what is sin and and what is not sin. And when God says it's sin, then I don't care if it's you, if it's your kids, your grandkids, the President of the United States, or who it is. If God says it's sin, then it's sin. Period. Here's what else we do. We try to hide our sins. As you can see, all of this is kind of a playoff of the cover. We try to hide our sins. Look at King David, a man after God's own heart. You want to know where things went south for King David and where things changed? You start at 2 Samuel chapter 11, right? Uh, we, see, we see David blessed of God. We see David prosper. That doesn't mean everything went good for him in his life. That doesn't mean that he didn't have opposition and didn't have hard times. He surely did. Saul chased him and tried to kill him for years. He had all kinds of problems and all kinds of things. And and, and I mean, there was times where he just had to live off the land and live in caves and things like that and survive. He had to be an exile of his own country for a while. That's after God had anointed him as king, right? He goes through all these things. But we see David prosper and we see David prosper. Spiritually, we see him prosper and God bless him and, and so on and so forth. And then there comes the point in 2 Samuel chapter 11 where David is well established in the kingdom and he is a king and, and, and things are going well and and he's getting on in age a little bit. He's not an old man yet, but he's, he's not a young man any longer either. And when it comes the time of year, right, where all the kings are with their soldiers out in the fields, right, leading their armies, David decides to stay at the house. He says, I have done my duty I am not a young man anymore I've got a general I can trust they can handle it now a lot of people think the sin starts with the interaction with Bathsheba but it started before that it started when David was not doing what David was supposed to be doing God had called him that position anointed him put him in that spot God gave him the strength to do it but David decides this year I'm staying at the house And then, of course, you know how that goes, right? In the the cool evening, he's out on the roof lounging and he sees Bathsheba taking a bath and and it just goes from there. Next thing you know, they've they've committed adultery. Bathsheba is pregnant. It is a mess. And then David says, I can still fix this. Hmm. You ever been in that position before? That ever went through your mind? I can still fix this. So what does David do? David calls her husband, we want to talk about how great David was and, and King David and, and, and Thou Son of David, right, is one of the titles for Christ. And he was a man after God's own heart. But I'll just be honest with you, Uriah the Hittite was a better man than what David was. Uriah was out there in the field fighting with uh, Israel's army. while David was at home sleeping with Uriah's wife. And so David says, I can fix this. So David sends for Uriah and thinks, I'll have Uriah come in, give me a report of what's going on. He'll spend the night with his wife at home and go back, and then when the war's over and he's back, the baby will be born and he'll think it's his. Uriah is a better man than what David is. Uriah won't do it. Uriah doesn't know what had happened, doesn't know what David is up to, but he says, with all my brothers out there sleeping in tents in the field and fighting, there's no way I can go home and enjoy the comforts of my home and a home cooked meal and my wife, I won't do it David even tries to get him drunk and try so that he will let his integrity down and he won't do it so what does David do? David has him murdered David has him murdered and then David marries Bathsheba and David thinks in that moment I fixed it I fixed it I have hid my sins, it's done, nobody else is going to say anything, question anything, that's a bad deal for Uriah, but hey, he had the chance, and that's just the way it goes. That's what was going through David's mind. But you see, his sins were never hidden from God. He that covereth his sins shall not prosper. David, a man after God's own heart, was no exception to that. Just the same as you and I are no exception to that either. David did not know yet. He didn't realize yet the prosperity, I'm talking spiritual prosperity, that he was stealing. I'm talking the peace, the joy, the happiness that he did not understand or realize. That's prosperity that he was stealing from his family at that point all for temporary pleasure, and then to try to hide it and cover it up. As we go through and we look at the life of David, after that point, everything changes. From that point, a baby, the one that is conceived in sin, right, his, who was his son, died. A daughter, later on, a daughter is raped. Another son is murdered. Yet another son after that tries to kill David and take his throne from him. Listen to me. David's life was a mess from that point forward. He that covereth his sins shall not prosper. One last one. We try to justify our sins. Look at Ahab and Jezebel. There's a wicked king of the northern tribe or northern kingdom of Israel and his even more wicked wife, Jezebel. Next door, there was a man by the name of Naboth, and he had a vineyard that Ahab wanted. In 1 Kings chapter 21, verse 7, right? Ahab, or Ahab is upset because Naboth, this is an inheritance. This was a come down from him and his family. He inherited this vineyard, and he was not willing to sell it. And he told Ahab he wouldn't sell it to him. And Ahab is upset and comes in the house and he's all gloom and, and face drooping and upset. And his wicked wife Jezebel said, this is what she said to him. Doest thou now govern the kingdom of Israel? Arise and eat bread and let thine heart be merry. I will give thee the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreite. Do you notice what she said? Doest thou now govern the kingdom of Israel? You realize what she's saying? She's saying, Ahab, Ahab, snap out of it. Don't you realize who you are? You are the king of Israel. You can have whatever you want. She's saying, I'll get it it for you. You're the king. Listen to me. No position allows you to rise above God's standard. I don't care who you are. I do not care who you are. It does not matter if you are the preacher or the pastor. It doesn't matter if you are uh, a leader in the community. It doesn't matter if you are the mayor, the governor, or the president of the United States, or the king of England, or the prime minister of Israel. It does not matter. You cannot rise above, and you have no right to rise above God's standard. What he says is sin is sin. That's across the board. That's for everybody. He is no respecter of persons. And his word says, he that covereth his sins shall not prosper. Let me end with this. I've tried to present to you what the problem is. Now, what's the answer? What's the solution? It's the second half of the verse. Second half of the verse says, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. That's why I had James read the verses that he read out of 1 John, verses 5 through 10. The spiritual prosperity, the peace, the joy uh, that you've not been experiencing simply lies in confessing. And let me make this clear, because some get really mixed up on this. This is not confessing your sins to some man. This is confessing them to God. And then you can't just say, and here's a mistake that we make so often— is we can't just confess our sins to God and say, God, you understand I'm, I'm human and I mess up. Now listen, we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. Right? There's none of us exempt from this. All of us have a sin problem. If you think you don't have a sin problem, then as the scriptures that James read to us this morning, you deceive yourself and you make God a liar. And he ain't a liar. It is us. We've deceived ourselves. If you think that you don't have a sin problem, all of us have a sin problem. The question is... What are you going to do about it? Are you going to try to cover it up? Or are you going to confess it to God and forsake it? Right? Are you going to try to live with it? Or are you going to deal with it? If you live with it, you will not prosper. You will not find peace. You will not find happiness. Right? Your life will not be what it could have been. Your relationships will not be what they could have or should have been. Right? With your spouse, with your children, with your neighbors, with everyone. Right? Nothing will be like it could have been. If you decide you're just going to try to live with it, that's covering it up. You're just going to try to cover it up. However you do it, whether you minimize it, excuse it, whatever. Justify it. Prosperity lies in confessing our sins to God and then forsaking them. Right? So often I said we like to come to God and confess them to him and then get up and go back right into them and do them all over again or continue doing them. No, that's not true repentance. You have got repentance is a 180 turn. You have got to turn away from sin and turn towards God. Don't tell me that you're sorry and don't tell me that you've repented uh, or act like that you have whenever you're not made that turn. And you're just going right back into your sin. Do you desire? for God to spiritually prosper you? Do you desire the peace that he speaks of that pass all understanding? Do you desire the joy that is absolutely unspeakable? Do you desire uh, that ability to understand what true and experience what true happiness is and for things to be, relationships and everything else, right? I'm When I say I'm talking to all relationships, I mean work, I mean loved ones, I mean, uh, and especially between you and God. If you desire that, that's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about spiritually prosperity or prospering. Then you got to you got to first of all confess your sins to God, and then you've got to flee from them. You've got to forsake them. You've got to turn away from them. It's so sad. So often the very thing that we long for, the very thing that we cry out for, the very thing we think I can't handle anymore, I can't take anymore. And and we want to cry out to God for relief. But we don't want to actually do anything or make any changes. We actually, what we actually do is we deny ourselves as we try to cover our sins. Listen. Your true desire for God... In other words, how much you want God to be part of your life and how close of a walk you want with him or any relationship whatsoever is absolutely revealed not by your words but by what you do with your sin. What you do with your sin matters. If you go back into the book of Joshua, Achan he literally kept Israel from victory at the town of Ai. People died because he covered his sin. He disobeyed God and literally tried to cover it up with his tent, bury it in the ground under his tent. The ten spies, the reaction of uh, from some of them, most of them, all oh, but two prevented Israel from entering the Promised Land. Forty years wandering in the wilderness. Lot actually destroyed his own family. Saul lost his kingdom in his sons. Jonah brought a great storm upon an innocent men in a ship. I don't mean that they were innocent as far as they were without sin, but. That had to do with Jonah's disobedience of God. So my question to you this morning is what about you? Are you prospering? Or are you preventing you and your family from prospering? our own actions and what we decide to do with sin. The lie is told so often it doesn't hurt anybody but me. I can't imagine what that possibly is I've yet to see somebody sin who did not that did not affect those around him and those that cared about him or her and loved them. So the question is, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Would you stand to your feet? I want to open the altar and I want to give you an opportunity to come this morning. Spirit of God dealing with you, would you come this morning? Don't you stand back there and worry what other people think. It don't matter what they think. Don't worry about uh, how somebody might perceive something. It doesn't matter. I'm begging you. Spirit of God dealing with you, you come this morning. If you've got a need, if you've got a burden, you come this morning. Whatever it is, don't you hold back any longer, okay? You just come right on. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.